Good morning, family. I'm joyous that I'm able to bring the message today, but I can't help but feel bad for Pastor Steve. Um, I wish that he was here with us today, able to finish out his message series. So I think it's fitting maybe as a congregation, we'll, we'll go in and pray for our pastor, and then we'll pray for the message. Father, we do, as a congregation, lift up our pastor, Pastor Steve. Father, and we pray that you would be gracious to him, that you would touch his mortal body, you would make him strong, every ailment that he's facing right now, Lord, that you would be gracious and heal him, and heal him swiftly, that he can come back here Tuesday and preach your word mightily and edify our hearts. I pray for the message, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak with the time that has been given, that you would speak through me boldly and, and clearly, that it would be an encouragement to the congregation as well as to me, Lord. Work among us this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I remember when I was a child, uh, going to school, I think about first grade, and that's really when I started noticing there were these distinctions. Distinctions among people. And you don't have to really try to make these distinctions. They just kind of rise up on their own. I, I remember observing, starting in first grade, that there were different kinds of kids in the classroom, and, and they all kind of congregated together, right? You had the, the wealthy kids, and they were generally separate from the poor kids. Then you had the really smart kids, and they were separated from those who weren't as smart. That would have been like me. <laughs> then you would have had the really athletic kids that didn't always hang out with the kids that weren't really involved in sports. There were these distinctions. And, and as I climbed up in grade, I realized that these distinctions grew stronger and stronger and more pronounced. And by the time you get into high school, you look around and there's all these little cliques, all these little groups. And, and people are, are, are contained within their groups and there's really no intermingling. And if there is, it's very little. It's, it's rare. For the most part, people just cling to those that are like them. There are these distinctions. And, and then these people grow up, and then they become the ones who run our country, and then you have distinctions between belief uh, governmentally, and then you have distinctions in belief on so many different matters, and, and now there's all this division, distinctions that have separated all different types of people. And really, these distinctions, they, they go back. They go back thousands of years. I think of one distinction in particular. When we think about Abram, when he's called out of Ur of the Chaldeans in Genesis 12, God calls this man to follow him, and, and, and Abram is unlike any other man in the sense that God is, is divinely speaking to this man and calling him away, calling him to be separate from everyone else. And then in the 15th chapter of Genesis, we see that Abraham now is given this covenant, and this covenant is going to set him aside from all other types of people. From Abraham comes Isaac, and from Isaac comes Jacob, and from Jacob the twelve tribes. And these people are distinct. These people are set aside. These people are different. And we're going to see how this distinction interweaves with our text today. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 22. But this distinction was so strong that it even affected the early church. 
Well, let's read the text together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Looking at verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. This is really a derision. And I really like the way that the NASB puts it. It makes it a little bit more clear. Essentially, what the text is telling us is Paul is reminding them that the Jews derided them. You uncircumcised people. That's what the Gentiles were called by the Jews. They were regarded as just these uncircumcised people. With that statement alone, you see the distinction, right? There's the in and the out. The Jews are the circumcised. The Gentiles are the uncircumcised. And it makes me think about King David when he's in the Valley of Elah, right? And he's getting ready to fight this giant. What does he say to him? You uncircumcised Philistine. Just think about that for a minute. He makes an immediate distinction. I'm covenant. I belong to God. God has delivered the bear and the lion into my hand. You uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, who do you think you are? You don't belong to God. I belong to God. A distinction there is this distinction made where there's in and there's out. And Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You guys were cut off. You weren't part of the circumcised party. You were separated from Christ. They literally had no Messiah, no Savior to look to. They were separated. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They had no fellowship or commonality with the Jews. The Jews were a separate people. They didn't really mingle with the Gentiles except for when they would go to make a proselyte and try to convert them to Judaism. And then when they did come in, there was still a distinction because they were never a bloodline Jew, so they always remained a step below the Jews. Strangers to the covenants of promise, 
ignorant to any covenantal promise, the Abrahamic covenant, that God was going to establish a covenant of faith with Abraham and and that ultimately if these people would believe by faith, they would be saved. And they had no hope and were without God. They had nothing to hope in. The God of all was not their God. And Paul is reminding the Ephesians that there was a time that this was a reality for you. There was this distinction. Now, really, there's one takeaway from this entire message, and that is the fact that we are one in Christ. All right, there's this gift of reconciliation, as we're going to see. There's a gift of reconciliation in verse 16, and this is what makes us all one in Christ. Sinners reconciled to God, and sinners reconciled to one another. But there are clear distinctions. No hope without God. And by way of practical application, they're a lot like us, right? Or we're a lot like them in the same predicament. And I could think about, just to apply it to us here and myself, what it was like to be separated from Christ. I don't know how many of you remember that. Some of you were probably raised in the church. You don't remember what it was like fully to live a life separated from Christ. But I just think about myself, the type of life that I lived uh, knowing that I'm separated from Christ, a life of darkness. And, and you've got to think about these Ephesians, right? They were, they were separated. They were out. They weren't in. Even if they wanted in, they, they weren't. They were out, and they were separated. They were in this place of darkness. They were in this place of disconnect. It's a harsh place to be. It's a scary place to be. I remember when I was separated from Christ, the, the depressions, the anxieties, the torments in my life, very distressing. I know what it's like to be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel in the sense that I was alienated from the Israel of God, the believing church. Strangers to the covenants of promise. I vaguely understood that Jesus was a man sent by God that died. And if I believe there might be something there that happens, maybe, maybe I'm saved. And therefore I had no hope. And I was without God. But verse 13, I love this. But now... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who's the far off? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. This reminds me of verse 4. But God. There's always the but gods. As I had mentioned before. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That means that the gap between Jew and Gentile that was there... That vast gap has shrunk. Us who were once the out people are now through the cross of Christ becoming the in people. And we become the in people by his blood. By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we see here a death that took place, right? It is by the blood that we're brought near. It is by the breaking down of his flesh that we're brought near. It is by the cross, verse 16, that we're brought near. For he himself, that is Jesus Christ, is our peace. Who has made us both one? That means that Jew and Gentile are now common, right? Where there's a commonality. We're both one in Christ. Made us both one. And he did that through the cross. 
broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That is to say, again, that was his death, his crucifixion. But what is this dividing wall of hostility? See, Paul is speaking in, in Jewish terms, right? So the dividing wall of hostility. Most likely what Paul is referring to is there was this inner and outer court of the temple. The inner court, the Jews were allowed. The outer court is where the Gentiles roamed. There was an inscription on the wall of the outer court that said that Jews need to, or Gentiles should enter at their own risk. Whatever that means. Perhaps it's a warning that God will smite you for coming in here. Because again, we're in. And you're out. You're uncircumcised. But Christ in his flesh has broken down that dividing wall. You know, I think about the wall of Jericho, right? That's what happened on the cross. I can imagine a mighty ram's horn sounding, the shouts of Israel, and then the walls just coming down. And, that, and that's what happened. That wall that divided us from the access that the Jews had, right? It, it's gone now. And it's gone through the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now the curtain of the temple is torn in two, right? And we have bold access by faith into the most holy place. We can go right to God our Father through Jesus Christ. And he did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That is the Mosaic law, right? The Jews are to be separated. They're a holy people. A kingdom of priests. They're set aside, sanctified. They're not like everybody else. They're untouchable. They don't eat what we eat. They don't live like we live. They don't do what we do. They don't observe days the way we observe days. But through Jesus Christ, that separation has been brought down. There's no longer these elites, these Jews that are the elites and Gentiles that have no access that are out. Because he created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It makes me think of Galatians 3.28. In Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. But we're all one. We're all one in Christ. I love the oneness. The oneness in chapter 2 of Ephesians. The oneness in chapter 3 of Ephesians. The oneness in chapter 4 of Ephesians. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, oneness, commonality. Distinctions are starting to fall away. The distinctions that kept us from one another, the distinctions that kept us from God, all that is beginning to crumble away through Christ. Because he created one new man in place of the two. And verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now look at that. We could read right past that in verse 16. Where it says, and might reconcile us both. That word both is there, right? And think about Gentiles are the ones that definitely need reconciliation. We're the ones who were always out. We didn't have the covenants of promise. We didn't have the oracles of God. That was the Jews. We were always out, so naturally we understand that we need reconciliation. But verse 16 says, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Now, it's funny, there's, there's one common thing among all men, even though there's many distinctions we make among ourselves, and that 
commonality is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's fallen. Everybody's broken. Everybody needs Christ. And I'm going to show you, now this is not the author's intent, but I think that this is a fun little fact. If we go back to verse 12. Paul is writing about these distinctions, right, made between the Gentiles and the Jews. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But in a very spiritual sense, the Jews are in the same boat. Now that's strange to think, because Paul is making the distinction of a Jew versus a Gentile, but the Jews are in the same boat. Think spiritually. Separated from Christ. They're separated from Christ because of their unbelief. Separated from Christ because of their unbelief. Unless you believe in the Lord, you have no part in the Lord, right? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, as I stated earlier, not all Israel is Israel. Who is the Israel of God? The saints who believe that Jesus is the Christ. There are Jews that are strangers to the covenants of promise because they only understood the bloodline aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. They know that God made a promise to Abraham and that there was going to be a lineage. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel, and so on. But they didn't realize that the promise of God went much further than a physical bloodline. It was a faith line. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham is the man of faith. There is a, a faith line. And the Jews didn't understand that. So in a sense, in a sense they're a stranger to that. And they're without God in the world and have no hope, though they think that they're the nearest to God. Jesus says that he who has the Son has the Father also. But whoever does not have the Son does not have the Father either. Therefore, we see that there's commonality even in that. Where there would otherwise be a distinction, we see that we're all in the same boat. Now we see the picture of the in and out both needing in. And Christ accomplishes this through his body on the cross. It all comes back to the cross. He killed the hostility between God and man and between one people and another group, right? On the cross, he killed hostility. What hostility? The hostility that separated God from man. We sinned. We offended a holy and righteous judge. And that sin put hostility between man and creator. And it also put hostility between different people. Yet through Christ, through his body, there is reconciliation at the cross. And just thinking about Christmas as we look at verse 17. This isn't a traditional Christmas passage, I know, but being that Steve wasn't able to come and preach his Christmas message, I'm going to try and pull Christmas out. Verse 17, he came. He came. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? That Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He was born of the virgin. The promise came. The prophets of old prophesied about it. And here he is. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He is the everlasting father, prince of peace, mighty God. He came. He didn't have to come. I mean, in one sense, he had to come in order to fulfill the promise. Him and the father decided this is what they're going to do. Sovereign God decided to redeem humanity. 
But he didn't have to come. He didn't have to come for a bunch of ungrateful, wretched sinners. But he did come. He came. And he preached. He came to preach. And what did he preach? He preached peace. The Prince of Peace preached the gospel of peace. And he preached it to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Now in context, those who are far off, again, that's the Gentiles, right? The Jews are the ones who are near, but just thinking about us. They're far off and they're near, even among us in this room now. Now there are some that are, many that are sitting here that are saved this morning. And then there are some that are near. There are some that are sitting here that are near to God in the sense that your parents or somebody around you has, has faithfully sown the word. They've worked in you, they've, they've tilled the soil, and you're not, you're not far off, you just haven't truly yielded your life to Jesus Christ. You're near. And then there are some that are far, like I was. They come, sometimes they wonder why they're even here. They love their sin, they love the darkness, they're not close to God. But you've got to remember, you're not too far. You might be far off, but you're not too far. Because Christ came and he preached. He preached to those who were far and those who were near. He preached to Jew and Gentile. And the Jews were near because they were a holy people, right? They, they were very moralistic. When many of the Gentiles, they weren't at all. I think about a particular Gentile in 1 Corinthians who was committing heinous sin. Paul says, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that at the day of Christ Jesus his soul might be saved. He might be looked at as somebody who's a Gentile who's far off, right? Yet there was a concern there for the soul. Christ came, was born in the flesh, and he preached. He preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. For through Jesus Christ, we have access through the Holy Spirit to the Father. We can go to God because we have been given this blessed Holy Spirit by faith directly to the Father. And I love verse 19. It's all because of this that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're no longer strangers and aliens. We're no longer these, these outcasts. We're no longer put off and regarded as nothing. God has regarded us highly. He's regarded us with love. He's regarded us with compassion. We who were just pushed away. And, and you think about the distinction between the Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had everything going for them. Except for the fact that they didn't necessarily believe in their Messiah. Some did when he came, but there was a great rejection. But they were so close. They were moral people. Devout. But us, us Gentiles, we, we, had, we had nothing. There was nothing there. Paul's reminding the Ephesians of this. That there's nothing there. We were the furthest away from God that we could have possibly been. We were strangers and aliens. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I think about a song that we sing in, in kids' clubs, Steve. Steve loves doing this one. There's a few children there who, it's their favorite song, but they sing, we are the family of God. Yeah! 
We are the family of God. It's like this excitement that we are the family of God. We're brought in. And this wouldn't be possible without the reconciliation that Ephesians 2 is talking about here that brings people in, Jew and Gentile alike, people from all walks of life, regardless of of financial background, status, or color, brings everybody to the cross who will believe on him and causes a church to be built up, makes a family of God, a household of God. And this house is built, verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this very, very foundation in which the house of God is being built upon is the foundation the apostles and prophets laid. Now the prophets prophesied about the Messiah that was to come. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. The apostles proclaimed that truth. They laid the foundation, the, the gospel of our salvation. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And they preached far and wide. And they built upon this, this, this foundation. And Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, which holds the entire structure together. And I could just imagine Jew, a brick, a Jew brick, a, a Gentile brick, stone upon stone being built up. This house of God that's being, that's being built up. And it's all people from everywhere. God is building a mighty house upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and it's all tied in by Jesus Christ. You take out the cornerstone, and the whole building falls down. And this whole structure is being joined together, and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, where we're going to stop. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You also. I want you to see that. Paul is reminding the Ephesians, you also are being built. You also. He's not leaving them out. It's not just for the Jews, for the Gentiles alike. In Ephesians, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I want to end this sermon this morning with a question. Are you, are you also? Are you also being built into the church of the living God by faith? Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He died for our sins. He he bore the sins of all who would believe on him. Are you being built into a dwelling place for God? And what must you do to be built into a dwelling place for God? You must believe in the one whom God sent, right? Every time I preach, no matter where I'm at, the rescue mission here, I always give the gospel. Because the gospel can never be assumed. It can't be assumed that people believe the gospel. It can't be assumed that people understand the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. He was crucified. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. That anybody who would look to Jesus Christ for salvation would be saved. He died, he was buried, and he rose. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, you will be saved. And you also will be built together into a dwelling place for God. That's how I plead with you this morning. 
if you're there and you are being built, continue to let the Lord work in you by his spirit. But if you're not, think about what that means. Think about where you will spend eternity. Think about the blessing of the church and think about the way of the world and the way of sin. Think about all these things. It's the weightiest matter you'll ever consider. And I would plead that if you're not in Christ Jesus, that you would put your faith in him today. That you wouldn't wait because no man is guaranteed tomorrow. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us this gift of reconciliation in Christ and and you've made us all one. That reconciliation is one in you, one with each other, one as a church. There is this amazing oneness. I pray, Lord, that we would see that, we would understand that, we would rejoice in that. And also, Lord, we just thank you that you didn't exclude us Gentiles from your grace. You didn't just extend it to the Jews and leave us out, but you have brought us in. And, and you've brought in the far and the near. No matter what anybody has done, you will never count them out. Your gospel is powerful, and if we would but believe and turn, we would be saved. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would minister to our hearts this Christmas season. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.